I feel but, like if we keep going and we say one thing wrong, people are just going to be like, these people don't know anything. Yeah. Okay, but so... so. Good morning and welcome to Downloadable Coffee Dallas, uh, our brand newly named uh, podcast. Uh, this is a weekly recap of the video game open coffee clubs around the Dallas area um, where we talk about what's happened uh, the last week in gaming news and game development news. So uh, I'm David Forrest, uh, filling in intro-wise for Eric Brody. Um, I'm Rebecca Easton. And I'm Michael Sewell. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> like let's get silence. going. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so the events this week. Yes. Yeah. What was uh, what was going on last week, and what's coming up this week? Oh, so this week actually today is the ninth, right? So to okay, yep. so uh, nothing really went on last week. Well, startup week oh. went on all last week. <laughs> I need to stop. Um, well, it's nothing. <laughs> no, you right? know, it's all good. Um, I after we do events, I can do a little recap of startup week if you guys want. Um, basically, um, there was a gaming track for startup week that, uh, was Tuesday through Friday of last week. Um, lots of attendance and saw a few members of the coffee club, uh, had a few new people kind of join and, and say that they're going to start coming. So, uh, pretty, pretty good turnout and, and some really great events. Um, this week. Oh, okay. So today is uh, D-Stop's been holding an event called uh, Cartridge Jam, and people were submitting a uh, art artwork or artwork for cartridges. Today they're supposed to do a here's all the car- arts cartridges. What everybody's going to give a pitch on what their idea is, and then they're going to break out into teams and start. I think a two week jam. So. Is that based off of the cartridges they made or yeah. a winner cartridge? That, no, like, off of the cartridge. Like everybody, if you, cool. it doesn't matter how many, it sounded like what it sounded like. It doesn't matter how many ones you you submitted. If uh, if nobody likes your idea. You don't <laughs> make one? Get, yeah, it doesn't oh, get okay. made. That's what it sounded like. That could be wrong. But everybody's, uh, everybody that was interested submitted an art. And then starting today, they're going to break out into teams and do a two-week jam. That's cool. And then uh, apparently at the very end of it, they're going to hold their show and play, and it's going to be featuring all the games that were made during that two weeks. That's awesome. Sounds like what Double Fine does. Uh, Once a year, they stop all production on what they're working on and spend two weeks just doing a game jam. That's really cool. Yeah. Cool. That's a good way to keep uh, fresh blood. Yeah. Or fresh fresh ideas going. Yeah. Yeah, you know, sacrifice like half the team, bring in the new fresh blood, and then, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, that, that's that's going to be my game jam idea next year. Sacrificial <clears throat> game developers. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. Too, too much? Goat simulator? Go, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> New darkness to goat simulator. Uh, yeah. So anything else happening this week? Uh, not this week, but later on this month, um, there is, a, I think you have to, you do have to buy tickets, but a bunch of short guys is holding an animation and comedy. That's on the 21st, and then on the 22nd, they're doing a charcoal body sketchy thing. Cool. Um, so I think that one's free. So every now and then, they, they'll do a free talk and a, or a paid talk. It just depends on how you want to go about that. Yeah, and I think that um, like sometimes, I know when talking with people here in the community, they're always like, oh, there's all of these events for developers and for the like design ideas, but mm-hmm. I don't really know where I fit as a, an artist. Uh, 
and and I don't know exactly the best way to improve my art or to meet other artists. And I feel like a bunch of short guys is a really great group for that mm -hmm. yeah. um, because they work on animation, they work on uh, the actual like art and design. Yeah. And then this this comedy event seems like it's cool. It's like making a, a web comic, right? That's a comedic comic, or is it an animation? I, uh, I can't. I that's cool. Can't speak. We can on get it more much. information and yeah, yeah, yeah. come back. I'll, I'll get some more information for next one. Yeah, for next Sweet. one. Um, uh, I know we have the uh, drink up on Thursday. Yep. Oh yeah, this Thursday. Yes. yes. So eight p.m. at Vickery Park in downtown Plano. Yep. Uh, a bunch of game developers uh, from around the industry, as well as indie developers, get together to meet and chat and kind of just discuss what they've been up to for the past month. And GDC was last month, so mm. uh, for those that I guess didn't go or didn't see each other while they were at GDC, this is kind of a good way to reconnect. And, and Yeah, it's always a good sync up right after GDC. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Uh, bring your ID if you're coming. Yes. They check at the door now. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. They, it's like 21 and up. Yep, yeah. it's a bar. Yeah. yeah, 21 and up. Yeah, totally. Oh, uh, and bring bring business cards. Don't bring resumes. Yeah. <clears throat> if so. students want to gather, don't bring your resumes. Or bring your phone. You can exchange contact info uh, yeah. with your phones now. It's this new thing. <laughs> cool. Um, I'm only this far into my coffee. <laughs> hey, no worries. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's uh, pretty much the end of the events that mm -hmm. happened last week and this week. Um if it's cool, I can chat a little bit about what Actually, we talked yeah. about. Why don't you, which way? No, wait, what? So I was going to say I can chat a little bit about what we talked about at Startup Week. If oh, yeah, like. yeah, no, go for that one. Do you, do you tell, tell us about Startup Week. How yeah. was that? What so, talks were there? So Startup Week was, uh, it was really good. Uh, definitely got Eric and I super uh, energized to start like 20 different gaming startups, uh, <laughs> which is always fun. Uh, basically, the the tracks that revolved around, or the track that revolved around gaming this year, was very focused around esports and kind of the future of video games and professional video games and everything like that, uh, game players. And so, uh, there were three main talks about esports uh, that happened up here at Launchpad City in Frisco. Um, there was the first event was called a Happy Marriage. Uh, basically the connection between traditional sports and esports. So talking with uh, people from all over the, the spectrum on that, from people that uh, work as uh, or have worked as professional esports athletes to the coaches and to the people running the marketing side of esports and, and kind of running all those companies. It was a really interesting talk on how people get into becoming uh, professional uh, gamers um, and uh, as well as kind of an intro for people that are interested in getting into esports, but they themselves are not professional gamers, nor do they think they ever will be. Um, so how to get involved was really good. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, there was a panel discussion about uh, influencer marketing in the gaming space. So basically how do streamers and, and how do professional gamers interact with businesses, create their own brand, um, and then kind of the value that you can get with that. So uh, Courage, who's a streamer uh, for Optic Gaming, uh, was chatting about his experience as a professional streamer, 
kind of his, uh, he, I can't think of the word right now, but basically his path from living in his parents' basement, streaming to <laughs> himself and his dad, to now streaming to uh, a massive amount of people, having, I think he he said he has like 6,500, almost 7,000 subscribers on Twitch. Um, and that's subscribers, that's not just followers and people watching him. Um, and so kind of how he grew that, how he built up that base, um, and then... Yep, exactly. Yeah, he's been streaming for the past thirty days straight. So um, that has been that has been a huge thing. Um, and then people really don't just to interrupt on that one. But people when they when they sounds like every time they were thinking I'm gonna go be a Twitch streamer or something like that, they don't really get how intensive it can get. It, it's there's two words that always that I always use whenever I'm referring to anything that has to do with social media or Twitch streaming or, or what have you. It's frequency and consistency. Yep. Right. And like you said, he's been streaming 30 days straight. There's one guy that I knew that wanted to be a Twitch streamer and he did a full 24 hit for his very first inaugural stream. He did a 24 hour stream Ooh. and he right after. Yeah. Yep. He immediately burnt himself out. Yep. He got a, he actually, I think, got a hundred something or a little bit more than that. A hundred to about 300 followers on it. But because he burnt himself out on that yep. first one, he didn't continue on to the next one. Yeah. And so all, he has those people just kind of sit there because you never unfollow anybody. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, they just kind of sit there. Yeah. And so, I mean, that that's actually something that uh, we didn't get around to asking. But Eric and I had a chat about afterwards uh, was basically uh, Courage or Jack is the guy's name. He was basically talking about like, yeah, you know, I just I've realized that I I have to be consistent, and my my viewers are expecting that. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's how you grow an audience and everything like that. And and cool, that's amazing. But at the same time, where do you go after this thirty days? Where do you go after sixty days? Once you've been doing this so frequently, um, because on YouTube, on Twitch, after a year, after two years, like people do start to burn out, and if you haven't built up a following or if you haven't built up a brand outside of Twitch, then what happens when you stop streaming? People go to different streams. People start following different I think people. A, another good example of that is actually if you take a look at what's happening with Markiplier right now. Yeah. Yeah. He, he in a way, sort of burnt himself out. Um, both him, I, I watched both <coughs> him and Jack Jacksepticeye, and they had a similar similar strategy, which was every day, they would post twice a day at the same time. Uh, and midway through, and they've been doing it for about three years. Wow. Three or four years, um, almost five for one of them. And what they're saying is sometimes, uh, like for Jack Septicai, what he would do in order not to burn himself out is he would record as much as possible if he knew that he wanted a break. And then he would just set those, those to go, and you would never know he actually took a break. Yeah. I mean, Mark isn't that kind of like, Self-fulfilling so. prophecy by working so hard to set but the he, preparation for he it. Did, he did that, but then he would be gone for like two or three weeks, and you wouldn't even know. Well, yeah. So he just were, and it, these aren't like long 30-minute episodes. These are like 15-minute snapshots, okay. right, which he could have <clears throat> taken an hour to record or maybe more than that, but yeah, it, was still, it was still 15 minutes. And also, in order not to burn himself out more, he did hire himself an editor. So they, they did a whole bunch of things. But if you take a look at Markiplier, 
he wanted to start doing so much, and he admits this is most, he wanted to do so much that he just kind of overextended himself. And now, instead of doing it every day, twice a day, like he used to do, he does one or a few every so, uh, every few days. So he, you can definitely tell he overextended himself. He burnt himself out a little. Uh, it's. I'm kind of not surprised. Markiplier came up out of nowhere. I felt like mm. he had like a, a meteoric rise in the YouTube scene. Like I remember first seeing him on Game Grumps, which five was already far into his his career. Yeah, yeah. he started five, with Five, five Nights. Right? Well, no, no, or he he'd been doing it for he a while. Up steam. Five Five Nights at Freddy for a lot of streamers actually. Um, for a lot of people, Five Nights at Freddy was what launched them. And then afterwards, sense. he was able to maintain it because he played other games. But you see that there are some that are like couldn't maintain after Five Nights at Freddy. Uh, so, anyways, that's, that's yeah, no, totally an, an explanation um, for that. Yeah, well, and I think that so the the other person that was on this panel uh, was basically speaking from the business side. Uh, he kind of manages talent or works with talent and and helps them to find. Uh, sponsors and and different brands to connect with. Um, one of his first big brands was Dude Perfect out of Fort Worth. Oh yeah, nice. um, yeah. So I you mean, know they're right down the street. Oh, did they move to Frisco now? Yeah. So because I think they started in Fort Worth. Oh um, okay. But but yeah no. So I mean like the Frisco North Dallas area is is kind of exploding with content creators and and uh, everything and the likes. So but basically talking from that side and talking from the perspective of having to kind of get brands uh, and get these people that aren't involved in the video game space or the the online content creator space to understand why you should be working with these creators. Um, and so it was, it was just a really interesting discussion. Um, and I think there's a lot more that can be said and a lot yeah. more that can be talked on that path. But I think especially the crowd that was there was a very business-focused crowd. And so they were brimming with questions. And mm -hmm. it, was re it was really interesting to see these you know, 50, 60-year-old, mm -hmm. uh, mainly men, uh, but asking, asking questions about, like, my kid, I just took his... Uh, his computer away from him as a punishment, and I've never seen him cry more than when I did that. And so, like, I don't. It was it was a really weird like thing, but at the same time, he was like, "Look, I don't want to lose my kid. I don't want to lose my son, and I want to figure out a way to connect with him, but I don't know how to connect with him." And so, there was now a discussion that kind of came up out of that that was like, "Well." maybe ask your son to teach you or daughter or whoever it is, maybe ask them to teach you about the games that they play or the people that they watch on Twitch and on YouTube and on all mm -hmm. these places. And you can now make that a bonding experience. Uh, that's what Terry Crews did. Oh, uh, yeah. And now, and now Terry Crews is massive within the, the gaming side of things. He's in crackdown three. He goes and shows up to E3 and PAX and all of these other uh, conventions and yeah, it all he became a huge deal yeah. on the on the do-it-yourself computer building yep. scene yeah. because just by being interested and yep. wanting to get involved in doing that with so his like son for, yeah. for me personal story but for me my dad like our father daughter bonding was playing halo and rainbow there six and uh army of two was our favorite we okay. played all of okay. them up until we didn't get a chance to play Devil's Cartel, but we played all the Army of Two, and it was just great because we killed each other constantly. So <laughs> that's that, great. That was that was our father daughter <laughs> bonding. That's how we got through it. Well, I mean, I I know that my dad has like asked about uh, like my brother and I when we go. My dad lives in Ghana, 
and when we go and visit, oh, we'll wow. we'll chat. Um, and we got talking about video games one day, and he was like, "Well, like next time you come, like if you happen to have a console or something you could bring with, you should." And so we're thinking of getting him a PS4 uh, as like a gift, but also as a way that we can now play with him online while my brother lives in San Francisco, I live here in Dallas, and my dad lives in Ghana, and have that be kind of a bonding uh, time for us. And so um, I think that I think that there are people that are interested in it and figuring out a way to help kind of get over that hump of, well, I don't understand how controllers work. I don't understand how to play games. I think the closest to that was Nintendo. Yeah. With the Wii. With the Wii, the Wii U, and the Switch. They were kind of the closest to that. You saw with the Wii, Wii especially that it just sort of broke down a whole lot of barriers for families just to get <laughs> together and have fun. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's that's the closest console that's ever come to that because the controls yeah. are simple. The games were usually simple. You just had to make sure you moved a couple yep. right right ways. So I think that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that that was that was the the talk on Wednesday, um, and then Thursday um, they. Uh, Infinite Gaming uh, just moved to Frisco. I guess they moved here about a year ago or a little bit less. I don't know the exact time frame, uh, but they've been here for uh, within a year. <laughs> um, and uh, basically, Infinite is a holding company for a bunch of companies in the esports space. So they um, they own Optic Gaming. Uh, which is an esports team. They own Allegiance, which is an esports team that's more family friendly, um, uh, and a few other teams, as well as they have a performance institute and they have a recruiting and talent academy and training academy. Um, and so, just kind of the whole breadth of the esports space as a whole, and and kind of looking at it from that approach of, hey, in in baseball, in football, and basketball. You are trying to recruit people when they're 10, 11 years old. You're then working them through this, like like building them up and watching them as they grow through middle school, high school, and then into college. Um, and if you can get them on one of these more like amateur, like, well, like semi-pro, but at a youth level teams, that's that's where they're really getting into recruiting them for the professionals. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's just really cool to see that being built for the esports side of things as well. And the the unique thing about Infinite is that because they kind of have all of these companies under their arc, um, all able to run independently, but they can then find ways to collaborate and work together in ways that most companies can't. So it's just a just a really interesting panel discussion. Um, and we we even brought up the kind of lack of diversity and inclusion, especially uh, with women gamers on the professional scene um, as a question. And um, they, they had a pretty good answer. Um, they, they were talking about just that, you know, they, they accept some responsibility from the perspective of like, they need to do better um, as an organization to not only recruit uh, great talent, but also recruit, uh, people for the administrative level of what they're doing as well um, that that kind of bridge that gap in a lot of ways. But at the same time, 
um, it is also kind of an industry thing that needs to be taken care of as well. Um, and so they had some really interesting ideas for, for how to get to go about doing that. So um, it was just kind of overall a really great week of discussion around the esports kind of side of things. And then uh, Randy Pitchford actually spoke on oh, really? Friday at an event called Creative Mornings. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of a networking group for artists, developers, anybody working in the creative space. Um, I wasn't able to go because I was up here for the coffee club, um, but uh, I heard it was a really good event, um, and it seemed like his talk went over pretty well. So, um, so yeah, so just uh, a really cool week. Uh, if you get a if you get a chance next year, um, we'll definitely talk about it again as long as this podcast is still going. <laughs> um, but so if you get a chance, uh, there definitely will be more events happening up in this area next year. Um, so, uh, try and make it out if you can, cause it was, it was really inspiring in a lot of ways. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> and it makes me wonder, uh, just, just all the esports evolution going on right now. Uh, is VGHS going to be a real thing? I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- <laughs> I, I, yeah, that, that would be really I mean, interesting. How long before we get like college sponsorships or well, so- scholarships? So they're actually for their esports are college scholarships for esports. Um, and I was Bam, just, I was, yeah, I was, I was just watching a YouTube video uh, that was basically how to get a scholarship for esports uh, coming wow. out of high school into college. And so um, that well, stuff is already out there and it's already happening. Um, it's just. Uh, as it continues to grow, um, and as like, I mean, League of Legends was one of the first companies to, well, Riot, I guess at the time, uh, was one of the first companies to really start sponsoring these college events uh, where they hosted college tournaments and they would give out, um, you know, free in-game currency or they would give out t-shirts and stuff like that for the winners. Um, and my college ran a tournament like that. Um, and I, it was right before I started playing League um, but my roommates, like all, uh, were on a tournament team together. Um, they didn't go very far cause I wasn't playing <laughs> with them. No, uh, but, well, I know, yeah. uh, Blizzard started doing that as well with their yep. Heroes, of, Heroes the Storm, of the Storm and they've yeah. got, uh, I think Heroes it's of the dorm. I thought it was battle for the dorm, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, I don't remember. <clears throat> Uh, an, an animator that uh, works at Blizzard on Heroes of the Storm also runs a student organization oh, for animators cool. called Tea Time Animation. Yeah. Uh, her name's Lana Baczynski over at Blizzard. Yeah. But she's always super enthusiastic about the Heroes of the Dorm every year. Yeah. And uh, I found out this year that they, the winning team always ends up getting full scholarship uh, for their college tuition. I think it's, it, if, if not for the whole remainder of their yeah. college career, it's for the year. That's amazing. It's Dang. it's really cool. I went to the wrong schools. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. California. That's where it's at. Apparently. Oh man, I went to the entire wrong schools. I you know, I bet we profit. could make that happen around here. No, I I I think that um, there are a couple of schools that that would probably be down yeah. for it. I and I think that that's something that would be really cool to see happening. So maybe maybe we can figure out a way to uh, get some of that stuff going. Uh, because and again, like one of the big takeaways from last week was that there's so much opportunity in the esports space to do kind of anything that is already being traditionally done in the traditional business space uh, because as large and as uh, much uh, as huge as it's going to be and as much as it's continuing to grow, it's still a very small space. There's still a very small amount of companies working in the esports space and there's 
really a need for a lot of the types of organizations that have been built up around sports and around traditional business to come into the esports space. And so I think that things like that, where it's like organizations that work towards getting esports scholarships set up at at schools or running tournaments that are focused on uh, kind of getting people excited about doing that, um, or just even helping colleges to mm-hmm. get an esports program set up. Um, I think that those types of things are a really great opportunity. And so if there happens to be anybody listening that's interested in that kind of stuff, or even amongst ourselves, like it could be really interesting to try and get something like that going. Um, so yeah. Attach our name to it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we can run a, a video game, open coffee club slash downloadable coffee, Dallas, uh, Well, it'll be the DLC cup. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. Downloadable coffee cup. There you go. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so there there are some things that that I'm getting started on and Eric and I together are starting on uh, that we'll have more information on in the coming weeks, months. teasers. Um, Yeah, no, but but that are kind of in that esports space, so... um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so so don't worry. We'll we'll chat about it later. But I okay. guess we should get into the actual yeah. recap. Yeah. So part well, of it I now. mean that's still a recap. It is. It, it is. is. And uh, I wish I had attended those events now cuz that know, sounds right? pretty awesome. Yeah. So next year. Uh, <laughs> but I think uh, I was a little burnt out from GDC, so I was like, yeah. I'm not going to do Well, and and so this. so so to give credit where credit is due as well, uh, Nabil, mm-hmm. who is on the board of the IGDA and he uh, is on the marketing slash sales team for Optic, I'm not exactly sure what his 100% position is, uh, but he was the one that helped really. Uh, he moderated all of those panels. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and really helped to bring all of those panels together. So maybe if we can be really nice to him, or we can buy him some dinner, or we could also or bring him on as a guest and just. Yeah, no. Well, if, and talk about that we, we might have to change the time that we record this podcast to there, get him to show up. <laughs> there are a couple of people that we want to bring yeah. onto the podcast yeah. where we have to record at a later time. Yeah. Well, that's fine. We but, can schedule a guest slot time. Yeah. And <laughs> but that, but, but that's that, a, that being said, um, you know, I think that we've talked about uh, on the IGDA hosting more esports focused events, um, just because I think a lot of people, even though they understand Twitch and they understand these events that are happening don't have a whole lot of exposure to the esports world. Um, and so trying to trying to grow that, um, I think, would be really cool. So, sorry. So moving on. Thursday. Yes. So Thursday, we talked about a couple things. And I hope so. <laughs> I'm trying desperately to remember. Well, so, so one, one of the things that, that we talked about uh, was the new Spider-Man game coming out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, That's, uh, is that Sucker Punch or is that Insomniac? Insomniac. It's Insomniac, Insomniac. Okay. yep. Um, and so there, there was a 114 rapid-fire questions asked of the uh, lead designer, I think. 114? It was Game Informer. Jeez. Uh, did a Q&A with the, the uh, either lead game designer or creative director or one of the higher-up positions within Insomniac uh, talking about the game um, and the club uh, was kind of split on one thing yeah they were they were split on the look of the game uh, the one coming out is going to look a little bit more what realistic or it look it looks more like the movie uh, okay. than like the comics or the or the previous games or anything like well, I thought that. the last video they showed or at least the one I remember from the the reveal yeah it looks like a weird in between. Not not that it looked weird. It looked good. Yeah. 
but it didn't exactly look realistic. So if you if you watch the latest okay. trailer or the latest screen caps and stuff like that, it's pretty um, realistic in in what the aesthetic that they're going for is. Uh, very like not metallic, but like the the suit is. It looks like the Spider Man suit from the movies with a little bit of upgrades and stuff like that. So kind of more um, PBR physically uh, based. Yeah. And, and then, and, that and kind then of it, like they have, they have a few screenshots of Spider-Man like on the subway and there are people <laughs> sitting next to him that look like they're supposed to be real people mm-hmm. without any like super creative filters or anything like that. So I think it's going to be pretty realistic, very like Arkham, uh, esque the, the Arkham game series. So, um, I don't know, but but I w- I was kind of of the perspective that I think as as long as this game is good, I don't care what it looks like mm-hmm. because I just I I love Spider Man and and I would love to see an amazing Spider Man game again. Uh, so whatever it looks like, but I but I totally understand why other people would want it to have more of that comic book. Aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, hearing Actually, that it's going to go more realistic does have me a little bit worried. I will see. So, like, I I rather it go a little bit more realistic, just because like some of the newer, some of the games over the last couple of years, woo, um, have been a lot more cartoonish, right? Uh, some of them have uh, felt like yeah, those Borderlands games. Yeah, man. I was about to say oh, yeah. some of them you know, that kind, of, kind of <laughs> uh, kind of try to replicate Borderlands style of. of image right like, i never felt like that from spider-man though huh are you talking about spider-man games specifically no, 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 no. oh no, okay. just games in general hmm. there have been a lot of games that have been trying to kind of go with that whole mashup sort of thing and i prefer that they kind of take a different oh, yeah, approach with this i think you mentioned at the club last time that this could also be them trying to reach a broader audience rather than just the people that have been playing the game for yeah. a while because it looks a lot more like it would be in an actual MC universe rather than just something that's kind of off to the side. Yeah, game. yeah. Like. And, and so on top of that, like, if if they do have any tie-ins to the MCU, that's something I'd really like to see because I feel like that is something that's been missing from the Marvel universe since, what, the Iron Man game? Like, there was an Iron Man game, but then they kind of stopped making movie tie-ins tie or I don't games. know. I'm kind of really hesitant to to want a movie game. And, well, and that's we, why... We've that's, seen some pretty... No, I, I totally I totally agree, but, that, <laughs> but that's where I'm saying, like, it's not so much that it needs to be movie tie-ins, but if it's, like, kind of associated with that world, then you can still have that, like, oh, my gosh, I just went and saw the, the Spider-Man movie, and now I just want to go play a game in that universe, whatever. And if this, I mean, talk about like DLC down the road or kind of future content. If this game really, the engine is, is built to a way where they can kind of continue expanding upon it. You could then have these campaigns or these stories that kind of build on top of that. Once the, the spider verse stuff comes out, uh, Sony, Sony's making the spider verse movie, uh, with, uh, Miles Morales as Wait, Spider Verse. Yeah, it's like it's a whole thing. Well, I know Venom is a thing. Ooh, yeah, so I, really I mean, get to so so the Spider Verse. Uh, I I'm not super well versed in like all of the lore, but basically like a bunch of different dimensions and a bunch of different versions of Spider Man that all <laughs> kind of take place in one 
dimension that it's is that like a it's filled Spider-Man? it's filled with Spider-Man. Um, Wasn't I, there? I don't a, know where it came from or a series of comics called Ultimate Spider-Man where it was yeah. like a bunch of different multiverse versions of Spider-Man came together somehow. Yeah, I'm, and I, I don't I'm know. If, I don't know if that's where they they're taking <laughs> the inspiration from or where it's from. Continue. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about it from this oh, perspective. Yeah, I'm because like, I feel but, like if we keep going and we say one thing wrong, people are just gonna be like, these people don't know anything. Yeah, but if you if you go and look like Sony, accurate. Sony has a trailer out for the new Spider-Verse movie. It's it's animated. Or okay, it's. With Morales, is it animated? Yeah, it's animated. Yeah, it's but yeah, Miles Morales seems like he's going to be the main protagonist of it. But there's all of these different versions of Spider-Man that interact, um, and the the design of that is is a really unique design hmm. uh, from the animation side. You should definitely take a look. Um, but once that comes out, I don't know if there will be an integration with the game or how exactly they're going to do it. I doubt it. But um, it could be interesting to see some some more integrations. Okay, what what did you want to talk about? So one of the guys posted a Steam Spy. It's an article called Steam in twenty in twenty seventeen, how Steam Direct, PUBG, and the rise of China affected the biggest PC gaming marketplace in two thousand seventeen. So one of the things it sums up is that two thousand seventeen was Steam's best year. So far, with uh, what was it like four point three billion dollars being made? Right. Have they ever not had a best year? Nah. Like a dip year? I don't uh, think so. I think really. that they just keep getting bigger every mm. year. Yeah. And anyway, this please year continue. also uh, they had amazing retention with fifty-seven million new player or fifty-seven million recurring? players recurring um, played were active in two weeks. Wow. In a span over two weeks, with 31% of active players joined in 2017. So they had a large amount of people join. Um, a lot of those players, it goes later on in the article, a lot of those players actually came out of China. With 60, It said 60, about 64% people came out. But the thing that actually caught my attention in this article as I was reading through is something that we've, we've talked about before, which is how games are bought. Uh, we, we've talked about it a couple times in the club, um, what platforms are best to buy games on, why indies are switching to other platforms, such and such. All right, well, it gets into this one where, let me see if I can find the exact spot, but it was talking about how Steam has trained peop- trained their consumers to not buy right when a game is released, put it on their wish list, and wait for a Steam sale. Yep. Right? And a lot of developers have said that that Steam sale sort of messes with their numbers. During that time, though, the Steam sell is when you see the more people start playing indie games, right? Because a lot of them get put up on that stuff. Yep. So you, you'll start seeing a lot of people play indie games. Uh, there was an article that I read. I wish I, I put it down, but there's an article that I read the other day that was talking about how this one particular company decided that they weren't going to buy into the Steam sell that... After a Steam sale happened, they would do their own sale later on um, so that they didn't lose a whole lot of revenue from the Steam sale. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. I'm trying to find the exact well, spot. Well, I, sorry, go ahead. But that the prices in, in, on Steam are going down, uh, are continuously going down. And it's not just like, oh, 1%, 2%. It's like 3 to 7%. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think that that gets into um, like the discussion of the the game shoot i'm forgetting the name but the game that came out and they had 20 times more sales on nintendo switch on the e-store than they did on steam Mm -hmm. um and i think that 
Which um, game was that? I, I can't remember. That's why oh, okay. we, we talked about it. I'll, I'll see if I can look it up in the time that we're chatting. Um, but basically, they were, they were talking about um, they released simultaneously on Switch and on Steam, um, and, and they had 20 times more sales on Switch. Um, and that's at full price on Switch versus, again, people waiting around for sales or um, just like the, the other ways that Steam is, is much harder to find games um, because there's just so many out there. Um, and, and with the Steam Direct, uh, like basically as long as you pay a little fee, you can get your game out there. There's no more green light. There's no more process. Yeah, um, and yeah. so... Um, that's something that's kind of been talked about, especially in the indie space a lot recently is does Steam, like, like, what is the future of Steam and selling indie games on Steam? Because you no longer can rely on uh, getting found and like, it's, it's, it's really hard to get found because you just get drowned out by all of the other games that are currently out yeah, there yeah. Um, and all of all of the asset flips and things like that, that there's no quality control really anymore. Um, we need that Nintendo seal of approval. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, like <laughs> Nintendo, Nintendo is very early on in their e-store uh, when it comes to like the switch, especially. So you have a lot less games that you're competing against. Um, and if you kind of fit and, and this game again, fit the, Zelda aesthetic. It it was like perfectly made for the Switch, so it's understandable that they had really good sales. Hmm. But at the same time, like if developers start to kind of say, "Well, we're going to focus our efforts on selling through a platform that we know we can get found on, or that we feel like we're not going to get undercut by Steam sales, or have to do Steam sales to sell our game," um, what does that mean for the future of like? these higher quality games being put out on Steam and stuff yeah. like that. Well, there's, there's also a whole factor. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but real quick before we switch yeah. topics, I wanted to jump into the whole mentality around sales. Yep. Uh, you know, for years, things have been priced here in the U.S. as like 19.99 or, you know, 15.98 or, you know, something like that just to make it feel like it's $15 instead of $16, yeah. right? Uh, so there's this whole whole marketing psychological gambit on how you price your games when they launch. One of the big things with Steam is you can never set your price higher, ever. So that first price you set, whether regardless of sales, whatever, that first price you set is your cap. Yeah. So if you put your game on the, sto- on the Steam marketplace starting at 20 bucks, uh, you can never charge more than that, even if you do like tons of free DLC or all these other things. So it's a whole strategy to put your game up for a high price and then rely on people to buy it when it's... 50% off and be expecting though those sales numbers rather than expecting full price sales numbers because people are more excited to pay half price for a game that maybe it's really only worth $30 but you're charging 60 so people get that that mentality or feeling that they're getting a deal right yeah I was going to say, I think in the article here it actually said that $9.99 was actually like the sweet spot but they have a whole bunch of other things here, like Steam sales are heavily skewed to the top, and it will always, oh, it's always like that. Um, and you see more games joining the tail end. You know, if you see the longest tail, then you see them yeah, joining yeah. in the tail. Uh, in that, uh, games at higher price points make more money, especially full price AAA titles. 
So the higher price games, I guess some people consider if it if they're charging twenty bucks, then it then it's obviously got to be a good game. <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of that mentality, especially as we've seen so much shovelware on Steam, and I don't want to say that the Switch is immune to that because I've seen a lot of shovelware oh, on the Switch too. Totally agreed. I'm uh, just saying it's a lot less, so it's a lot more visible currently. Currently, but it, yeah. they also have a currently have a worse filtering. Yep. Uh, store, yep. so it's it's really hard when to to sort through all that shovelware on the switch totally. when you when you are noticing shovelware. Yeah. I have occasionally, not very often, but yeah. And the last thing I want to say here is that from this article that kind of had me cracking up was uh, there are many users from China on Steam, but they don't seem to be buying much outside of PUBG. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a war going on between PUBG users and Fortnite users and yeah. people who are kind of elitist about one or the other yeah uh and then there's people like me who play both and yeah. i'm like well so i th- i think people. that that actually <laughs> brings up a really interesting topic for next week or mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. talk about in the clubs is uh PUBG and uh blue hole blue is- blue hole yeah yeah uh, and tencent by association well yeah but uh but basically they're focus right now on trying to protect their IP, trying to go against mm. uh, people that are making clones and things like that, um, and kind of what that means for the industry uh, that such a large developer is trying to claim like that they own the frying pan. Yeah, I was just going to comment. Like I saw that, that article this morning. This is not morning. an old argument, though. It's not well, an old argument. Well, they tried but, to they tried to claim that no other first person shooter game has used a frying pan as a melee weapon, yeah. and that any other game that does that is you know uh, yeah. And so I mean I, I don't want I don't want to get into this discussion right now because there's so much that could be talked about. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that it would be really interesting to kind of try and talk a little bit about this at the club, uh, and just um, you know, hopefully there are people from you know, a few different sides of the argument of those that say, well, as an indie developer, especially, you know, owning copyright or, or owning whatever, when you have a large company that can just come in and copy in, in blue holes terms, what we did, then how do we compete against that? Um, but you even pointed out that on steam, they made six, uh, $600 million. $600 million off of PUBG last year. So, yep. you know, to what to what point do they... Um, mm. Well, it makes it, me wonder yeah. why they need to care about all these lawsuits and things when so they're clearly making bank. It kind so. of, it kind of <clears throat> reminds me of the... And again, I don't want to get too deep into it, but the, the, when, I, when I saw it and when I was reading it, it kind of reminded me of King or oh, yeah, when yeah. they were trying to copyright Saga. Yeah, yeah the so, Candy going, Crush developers. Yeah, and going yeah. after anybody that used Saga in their titles. Like, that that sort of thing. And, I mean, like, even a couple years ago or almost a decade ago, there was a guy who, who copyrighted Blade. In try, or It was either Blade or Edge, and nobody used it in their titles because they, he was like, you have to pay me for it. Uh, that kind of stuff. Was so. he the Edge Lord? A- uh. Okay, but so, so moving on. Yeah. Um, the... That was most of what we talked about on Thursday. Um, on Friday, it was an MMO talk. Yeah, we t- we talked about MMO and storytelling within uh, MMO. MMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the at the very end, we did also talk about uh, Overwatch bringing in 
uh, elements, well, having done PvE events in the past, um, so a game that's focused around this this player versus player competition, uh, to then be able to inject these uh, these cooperative events um, that you can team up and even starting to do a little bit of single player, I think, as well, that they're uh, putting in some campaigns, I guess, within that. Um, well, they have the, the horde mode they introduced, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But, but then, like, this one is... Uh, a, is like a, a library, like you're you're going into the archives and you're stealing something and then you're trying to escape uh, with that. So trying to play up on that. But the really interesting thing is, is that they're creating an archives mode where basically you can go back and play any of the versions that they've put out in the past. Hmm. Um, and so kind of always having access to these uh, PVE events um, in the past. So just just kind of an interesting topic um i wonder if that's related to the world of warcraft discussion where uh a lot of people were were fighting to have vanilla wow back like when it first released because there were a lot of events that you can no longer play in the recent version of wow um and there was a lot of backlash over the fact that blizzard was was shutting down private servers of vanilla wow and stuff like that yeah uh so i wonder if this whole archive bbe game mode thing is is like a hey we're gonna save this and preserve it so that in the future when people do want to play this stuff again you can come back to it easily yeah i mean that that could definitely be uh a possibility now i don't know i don't know how much it costs for them to to have these different servers or different uh system set up for all these past game modes and like how long they will be willing to support that um but yeah i mean maybe maybe they learned something from well uh i don't know they 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 seem to be doing well for themselves right now so um but future proofing uh maybe that's what they're working on right now and that's kind of interesting um it seems like they're starting to try and build out more storytelling uh, outside of just the little uh, videos that they put out or the animations or anything like that. And so trying to build in more of this uh, kind of narrative development inside of the game itself. Lore. Uh, lore yeah. development. You, you, lore. You call it lore. I guess, but like, like some of these aren't just like, here's the background on this, but actually like playable story mm. aspects. So I mean, I, I think it still falls under lore. But, okay, so but yeah. lore development. There you go. My bad. Um, but yeah, so um, I don't know if we want to talk at all about or, or a little bit about the MMO storytelling discussion that we had. Um, well, I kind of came in late, so if you could recap, like very <laughs> short. What it sums up to yeah. is that right now MMOs do a really shite job of doing story in games, right? Because they tend to use one single trope every single time, mostly. A lot of games do this. Uh, It was definitely noticeable. What what trope is that? I'm about to tell you. Okay. In uh, Destiny 2, they use the hero story, which means that you are the single most powerful character in the game. You're supposed to be saving the world and all that. The Mary Sue. Right, the Mary Sue sort of thing. But what you see in a lot of MMOs is, well, you're being told, you go up to the quest master, you're being told, you're the only one that can do this, the warrior of light. Meanwhile, around you are 40 other people being told the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So it removes that that feeling of you are the one. All right. So the question that was proposed to the group was, how do you get around that 
in this, in MMOs. And there are a couple people that are like, well, you can do it building block style where you have the narrative just kind of change uh, to each player. There's a game that's coming out that does that. I forget which game it is. I'll look it up next time and, and talk about it a little bit more. But that that was mainly what it was about. Just MMOs need to do better with their story, especially because they can't rely on that single single player mentality, especially if you have games that really like to raid. Chronicles of Illyria. There you go. Chronicles of Illyria. Jonathan was the one who brought up uh, Chronicles of Illyria, and he actually brought up a really interesting and pretty unique story of his experience playing playing MMOs. And I think it was when he he was first playing uh, World of Warcraft. Um, Mm -hmm. I think so. We'll get to the point. Whatever. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure it was World of Warcraft in the early days. Um, He decided that he was going to focus on being like a leather worker and he was going to max out his leather working stat and crafting stat on that side of it so that anybody that wanted like a specific style of whatever it was had to come to him and so he was like known on the servers uh i think his name is like methos or mythos um and so like people would be like typing in chat like oh, have you guys seen Methos? We're like looking for whatever. So he was like this celebrity within his server because he was like the highest ranked uh, crafting person out there. Um, And so for a while he was that and he had this like really great experience of feeling like the the highest of the high, the top of the top in that specific field. But then over time, people all kind of got to that. And so once there were a bunch of people out there, then he no longer felt like that. And there was there was no reason for him to continue trying to be the best or whatever because there, he had already reached the peak and everybody else had. And right, so that, that's right. kind of what like, spawned this whole idea of like, well, how do you then create these moments or these, these aspects? Like Ready Player One as well, like there are certain aspects of it that like, so in, like there are only a small amount of things that you can pick up here or there, or even Sword Art Online, there are like the unique skills that people have. Um, and so how do you inject those types of things into a game and into an MMO where you can have these unique aspects, but then you don't also spend a bunch of time creating unique things that nobody ever ends up finding or nobody ever ends up acquiring? Well, I think you just answered your own question. Uh, you you're going to be spending, if you want to do that unique level of, yeah. of development, you're going to be spending a lot of time developing just those unique things. And the Allure, what was it? Chronicles of Allure. Chronicles of Allure had an interesting system that they were going with. It kind of reminds me of the Nemesis system that Shadow of Mordor uses, mm-hmm. where it, it still remembers what's being played, but the way that they made this one sound is like the game engine itself will look at all the players and assign sort of a storyline to each player. And you, it would be unique to you. Hmm. And that's kind of cool. That's a whole building block idea. Uh, I'm interested to see. I want to look into the game a bit more and see with it how that really. I'm is interested go. to see how well that game does because yeah. I would argue. Well, one, uh, do we need to push that? Because look at the profits from WoW. Look at the profits from some of these huge MMOs. From a monetary development standpoint. Uh, how much more resources would you put in and still get a return? But how? I well, okay, maybe maybe with Destiny and stuff like that. But what I was going to say is like, how many of these MMOs are still doing really well 
outside of like a small uh there's a handful user so. base of yeah. like extremely devoted users like how much mass adoption is there still in those spaces when the storytelling past the initial grind or past the initial amount of uh raids and stuff that you do like how many of them are still going super strong to the point where like you have this long-term thing. And I think that those unique stories are kind of one aspect that really helps with that. Um, But I agree with you, like who's going to actually want to do it when they're already making cash hand over fist. Um, Not me, but then again, (laughs) I I like stories. So (laughs) I mean, I agree. That's the reason I played Final Fantasy 14. I like the story of that particular MMO, but it is exactly that Mary Sue scenario, right? Like you're the warrior of light. You can can solve the problem. uh, In general, every, most games are designed to be a power fantasy, mm-hmm. right? It generally yes. most game, and especially the ones where you're, it's silent characters. Silent characters are, are pretty much used as your vehicle. They are your avatar, right? Um, which is why I don't really care too much for silent characters. But in games, in games, and in some movies that are very action heavy, they're designed specifically to be a power fantasy. Um, so, so I mean, that's why, like, I think, like, I've always really wanted a, like. A Harry Potter MMO, even <laughs> even even if it's not Harry Potter per se, but like the idea of like being able to go and on your own be the Hermione or the the Snape or whatever to go and like learn the deep deep aspects of a certain craft, whether it's potion making or it's spell crafting or it's whatever, like being able to go and research and or find these certain aspects. Um, that aren't just taught in classes or aren't just like the normal skills. And I think that I haven't really seen a game that's done a really good job of that. Um, Maybe I'm wrong and I'd love to find out if if there is a game that's done a really good job of like that. Well, okay, so I think the biggest problem is that for people to discover even the deepest content, that means that you have to have somebody creating that content for them to discover. But but do do you have to, now that we have more and more of these like procedurally generated types of things. You have to create the sparks for those, but what if you built out a robust enough system that you could create these things that you don't have to come up with on your own, but like like I know that there are companies here in Dallas that are in the marketing space creating like one-off pages for Domino's or Pizza Hut or whatever, and they have to create unique content to uh, to make it so that Google finds their pages for each location. But they're they're just like they create these small little um, these small little like sparks, and then they create unique sentences and unique things that grammatically work. I mean, I'm just saying, like like I, I feel like those types of things are out there. Yeah. The procedural systems aren't quite there yet. Maybe someday okay. we'll get to that point. But I think right now, to really push that kind of narrative field in an MMO, yeah. you're going to have to go with entirely user-generated stories and plot lines. And I think the best example of that right now would be EVE Online. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, the space simulation economic yeah. MMO. Uh, the stories that have come out of that that you see news articles on and all that, like the giant faction wars, those are entirely space user pirates exist. Built. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's it's legit space pirates <laughs> through a game, and it's entirely a user created like okay. plotline and world. Uh, 
But I, I think we're running out of time. I know Rebecca has to go soon, so I guess yeah. we should wrap it up. <laughs> Please. Um, so, <laughs> well, okay, wrap up. Um, so those are the topics that we talked about. We're going to go, what is our topic we wanted to do this week? I already forgot. Oh, jeez. Um, we, we just said it earlier. Yeah. Uh, uh, awkward. Moving on, then. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you to Nirvana for giving us the space. They yeah. are incredible. They have a booth up here that's open to anybody, pretty much. They have yeah. a couple slots you, left open. You so. just have to sign up. Uh, just mm-hmm. go up to the the register, honestly, <laughs> if you're here, and ask them about uh, the podcast booth if you are interested in recording a podcast. Oh, they also have streaming regs, so you can do yep. some Twitch yep. streaming. Yep. You can also email uh, joe.king at gearboxsoftware.com, and he can help you organize a timing or, cool. or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, additionally, yeah. uh, huge, huge thanks to Trey Hodge uh, oh, yeah. for helping us to not only yeah, thank you, Trey. Uh, not only edit uh, these episodes and make them sound good and pretty, um, but also uh, he is. You might hear it at the beginning and the end of this episode, but he uh, is working on an intro and an outro for us so that we have some nice cool music for you to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you can find out more about Trey at treymixes.com. Uh, he puts up like YouTube tutorials about audio editing and stuff like that. Um, and he has links to some other work that he does out there. Also uh, shout out to our sponsored some simple services for helping keep some of the club stuff afloat. So thank you very much on that. Uh, and we, uh, wait, so I, lost it. I, I oh, mean, where's the club? Where where are clubs at? Yeah, so so um, you can you can find us every week uh, Thursdays at the Whole Foods uh, City Line on Redner Road. It's like Richardson Plano area. If you search for City Line Whole Foods, you'll find it. Uh, Friday mornings, you can find us here at Nerdvana, uh, eight a.m. both days. Uh, we with a hard stop at nine a.m. if you have to get off to work and stuff like that, um, and then. Uh, we will be doing an evening uh, beer club at Brain Dead Brewing the last Tuesday of the month, mm-hmm. starting at like 7.30 p.m. So if you can't do mornings but you still want to catch us, then come by then. And, of so. course, if you can't make any of that, be sure to follow us on our Facebook yep. group page or join the conversation over in our Discord. If you don't have access to Discord, just post in the Facebook or t- tap somebody in the club that you know, and we'll get you a link to that. Yep. All righty, guys. Well, it's great. it was great having the conversation with you guys. I got to run. I'm Rebecca Easton. You can follow me at My Dyslexic World. Dyslexic is spelled wrong. It's D-E-S, not D-Y-S. Uh, I'm Michael Sewell. You can follow me on Twitter at Sewell Softworks. And I'm David Farris. Uh, find me on social media at David S. Farris. Uh, and yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, See you guys. next week. Get out of here.